Let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right. And we'll continue with the new uh, hymn of the month. The bridegroom soon will call us. Let me get my own sheet here. And um, this might not be that familiar of a hymn to you, but it's a very easy and, and kind of upbeat tune. So uh, I'll, I'll kind of I'll hum it for you here in a second, and then, and then we'll just jump right into it. No, it's not. That's impossible. It's a pitch pipe. Okay, so the tune is. All right, so we'll just jump in. You'll figure it out. It's a, it really is a very easy tune. The bridegroom soon will call us. Come to the wedding feast. May slumber not befall us, nor watchfulness decrease. May all our lamps be burning with oil enough and more. That we with him returning may find an open door. There shall we see in glory our dear Redeemer's face. The long-awaited story of heavenly joy take place. The patriarchs shall meet us, the prophet's holy band, apostles, martyrs greet us in that celestial land. There God shall from all evil forever make us free from sin and from the devil, from all adversity, from sickness, pain, and sadness, from troubles, cares, and fears, and grant us heavenly gladness, and wipe away our 
tears. In that fire home shall never be silent music's voice. With hearts and lips forever, we shall in God rejoice. While angel hosts are raising with saints from great to least, a mighty hymn for praising the giver of the feast. All right. Got better and better. <laughs> we'll keep going with the uh, catechism memory work. So this is uh, from, we're starting back in the table of duties. So this is just what um, different Bible verses about different uh, vocations that people might have. So what does the Bible say about bishops, pastors, and preachers? And we'll go down to the Bible memory work. The overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. 1 Timothy 3, 2-4. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And Luther's uh, morning prayer. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you kept me this night from all harm and danger. I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us. All right, kids can go off to Sunday school. All right, in the uh, hymn of the month, um, the bridegroom soon will call us. So this is one of these end times hymns. Uh, so we uh, we only sing end times hymns a, a couple times a year, really, at, during Advent or um, at the end of the church year, and we're coming up on both those things, both the end of the church year and then Advent. And uh, there's, a, there's a lot of great end time sims, actually. Um, and it, when we say end time sims or talk about the end times, I think, you know, it, it can sound kind of depressing. Like the end times is something that we're kind of scared of or that is, you know, when you read through Revelation, it's, it's great and powerful and mighty. And uh, there's, there's wars and, and you know, uh, people being destroyed and all these things. But for the Christian, we should not be afraid of the end times, right? The, the end times is actually a time of rejoicing for the Christian. We're living in the end times now, 
right? We're waiting on Jesus to come back again to judge the living and the dead, right? The 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 end times is has been since Jesus ascended into heaven and he promised to come back again. Now, we don't know how long the end times are going to last, but we're living in the end times now and Jesus is going to come back again. And then on that final moment, uh, that final day when he does come back, that's that's also a time of rejoicing. Because that's the time when, and this goes right along with what we've been talking about with the prophets, is the day of the Lord is when God's going to make everything right. And that's good, right? It's good for everything to be made right. Yes, the wicked will be punished, but we will rejoice in that, right? We rejoice that that people are treated justly according to their faith, right? And that it sounds like a hard thing or a harsh thing, um, but when we see everything made right, right, everything fall into place the way it's supposed to, according to God's plan and God's purpose, that's a good thing. And it's also a time of hope for us, right? It's a time of rejoicing for us because we will be in heaven, right? We will be uh, taken to the new heavens and the new earth when uh, we will see Christ as king and the last enemy death will be destroyed and we'll be in perfect bliss forever and ever, right? And our bodies will be reunited with our souls and it'll be amazing, right? So we long for that, right? And whenever we pray in the Lord's Prayer, right, deliver us from evil, what are we praying? We're praying that Jesus would come back again, right? How are we ultimately delivered from evil? Jesus comes back again. That's how that's how that goes, right? So um, whenever we sing this hymn, right, this is a joyous hymn, uh, the bridegroom soon will call us, come to the wedding feast, right? And, and what is a wedding feast? It's a time of rejoicing, right? And this is the wedding between the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, and his bride, the church, right? That is Ephesians 5 language. The bridegroom soon will call us, come to the wedding feast. May slumber not befall us, nor watchfulness decrease. Right? And this is what, what um, we're encouraged to do during the end times, is to keep our the oil of our faith burning in our lamps, right? That we would not become slumbered, right? We wouldn't become lukewarm, right, and risk losing our faith. Uh, we wouldn't let our lamps go out. But we'd feed our lamps with God's word and God's sacrament and uh, we would stay watchful for the day when Jesus comes back again, right? For we do not know the day or the hour. May all our lamps be burning with oil enough and more that we, with him returning, may find an open door, right? So we'll just stop there for that today. But um, that's really what I want you to think about is that this is a – the end times hymns, it's not just – they're not like depressing hymns, right? And when we talk about the end times, it's not meant to be depressing or, or um, scary, it's meant to be beautiful. It's meant to be hopeful. It's meant to be rejoicing. Right? Uh, we look forward to the end time. All right. Uh, any question on the hymn of the month or comment on any of that that we just talked about? The end times. So I know, I know Christ is going to come back. Yes, sir. But, okay, so you have to understand I come from an evangelical background. Did you ever go to a rapture conference? (laughs) Am I bringing back bad memories for you? (laughs) Oh, man. So it's kind of, it really does become kind of hard to separate, even though, you, you know, in your mind you reject that, but also at the same time, 
trying to overcome many years of that being the teaching. So maybe maybe not now because there's other things. But is there a way that we can eventually have like teaching concerning this to kind of put things together? Yeah, um, I mean, I'm happy to do I, – I eventually would like to do a Revelation Bible study because everyone's always concerned about the book of Revelation. And I, I, in some ways, I just don't think it's actually that complicated, but um, eventually we'll do that. And I'll, we'll probably kind of – I mean, we'll, we'll end – since it's the last book of the Bible, we'll end our Bible history course with that at some point probably. Uh, in the meantime, if you go back in the Lutheranism 101 archives on on the podcast, uh, there there was like six weeks on eschatology, so you can go and listen to that. Okay. Yeah. And you covered like Daniel and Ezekiel and Revelation and all that. No, I didn't even go into that much detail, and it still took six weeks. Oh. Um, <laughs> okay. But. Uh, it was more of it was more systematic than exegetical. So, yeah. We'll cover a little bit of Daniel and Ezekiel here soon when we get to them and the prophets. Now the scientists here in the America have a different look at uh, the end times. What's that? They have a different look who, at the end who does? times. They're talking about the destruction of the earth. The scientists. Who? The scientists. And the scientists. That's a very good point, is that when you hear, um, so this, this term eschatology, which is the study of the end times, right. eschatology, uh, everyone has an eschatology, just like everyone has a religion, right? right. Everyone's got to answer the questions in life, like, where did I come from? What's going to happen when I die? Does God exist? Right? What do I fear, love, and trust in what most in life? Yeah, what's my purpose? What do I fear, love, and trust in above all things? Everyone has a religion. Everyone has gods, right? Also, everyone has an eschatology. Everyone has some vision or idea or thought about the how this world is going to play out, right? right? Yeah. And how it's going to end, right. if, if it's going to end. Yeah. And if it's not going to end, that's still an eschatology, right? Right. Um, but what you will see in the in the news is the world's eschatology. And I would identify a couple different things. One of the main things I would identify that I think you're hinting at is that the world that the world's eschatology is is uh, climate change. Right. Yeah. They yeah. they they really present climate change if you listen to the way that they talk as um the 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 function by which the world will end right right and um it's a religion right you're supposed to change the way you live right. you have a yeah. your justification is that you become a you know zero carbon emissions right. person right. and your sanctification is that you drive an electric vehicle uh -huh. right um yeah. it's all very religious so that's a good point is that Everyone has an eschatology. Right. Yeah. That's more. Well, no, no, that's beside the point. 
Yeah. And also say the earth is going to go from north to south. The south pole will go, or the north pole will come south, and the south pole will come north. Uh, yeah. So what I'll say is that I don't know because I'm not that smart. Um, Vicar Bennett at, at Peace Oxford is a you know research physicist. And what he tells me is that modern science basically doesn't know anything about how the world works. Um, so right now, like in physics, there's what's called the standard model, which this is a total aside, but it is the basically all the um, equations that account for like, you know, like the theory of relativity, right? Like right. E equals MC squared, right? right. So uh, like all those equations kind of put into a system, this is what's called the standard model that accounts for what we understand of physics. Mm-hmm. Well, there are things in the world, and this is one of the experiment that, that Vicar Bennett is working on, that the standard model count cannot account for, right. which has to do with electrons and protons and, and all the, these things that I don't really understand. Um, but he was like, yeah, we really can't even explain gravity with, with math. Right. So <laughs> that's just one example. I can give you other examples. But whenever scientists tell me that we know this and we understand this about uh, – What's gonna happen with the world? I'm like, no, you don't. No, it's gonna change. You're not God. Right. Like, this is what God has to tell Job. And weather's you know. Always been changing. That's why it's the first <laughs> yeah. time it's ever changed. Well, yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's also true. But like, yeah. I mean, whenever they're telling me all these things about what the world's gonna, what the Earth is gonna do, and its atmosphere, and its, and the physics of it all, and everything, I'm like, look, this is this is exactly what. What God has to say to Job, were you there when I laid the foundations of the world? Right. Did you yeah. create the mountains? Yeah. Did you create the sea? Right. Like, you weren't there. Right. So, anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and even if, even if like, climate catastrophes do happen, God's still in control. They're always going to happen. They've always happened. Yeah, there's always been hurricanes and things like that, right? So... Right. Yeah. Um, but it's always a call for us to return to, to Christ. Okay. Enough of that. Um, Jeremiah. So last week we did the introduction to Jeremiah. So we talked about his background and the main themes of the book and the outline of the book. I'm not going to rewrite the entire outline, but um, I will just kind of jot down some of the main themes here. Just so as we go through these passages, we can identify them. So just by way of review, uh, some of the main themes in Jeremiah are the uh, written and enacted word. So whenever, for instance, in Jeremiah 7, whenever he preaches this temple sermon, not only does he have a focus on on preaching it, right, and um, or in uh, chapter, uh, what is it, uh, 30, 36, right, when when um, he insists on on Baruch writing down the word for the kings, right. Not only do we have an emphasis on the written word, 
but also we have an emphasis on the enacted word, right? So in Jeremiah 7, whenever he uh, preaches the temple sermon, which is written down, he uh, stands in the gates of the temple and kind of acts it out, right? Um, and the, the takeaway of that is that God's word, the written word, it affects real life, right? So it's a, it's a living word. It's a word sharper than any double-edged sword. Okay. Another big theme in Jeremiah is uh, this kind of agricultural theme, if you will, where to talk about destruction and restoration. He talks about things being uprooted and destroyed and things being newly planted. Right. This is how he talks about kind of law and gospel, if you will. He talks about destruction and restoration, but he uses very agricultural language. Okay. Um, the next uh, major theme is the covenant, uh, both old and new. The covenant that is broken by God's people via idolatry. And the new covenant that's going to come by the Messiah. All right. Um, and especially chapter 31, we'll see that. All right. And then the, the last major theme that we're going to keep an eye out for is um, this idea of faithless leaders, but especially shepherds is what he's going to call them. All right. So not only a lot of the prophets that we've talked about so far, they focused on the people of Judah, right? The people of Israel that have gone astray. But he says, not only have the people gone astray, but included in that people is the shepherds. Included in that people is the pastors and the prophets, right, and the priests and and uh, the and the kings, right. That there's faithless shepherds, and then um, he says there will be one faithful shepherd, right, who will be like a righteous branch. So he's mixing metaphors here, because that's what the prophets do sometimes is that the faithful shepherd, the Messiah, will be a righteous branch that's going to come, right? So uh, we'll, we'll see all this kind of language. All right. Um, and then the, the outline, as far as the outline goes, again, I'm not going to write it all down again. Um, I can share it with you if you want. But because Jeremiah is a collection of sermons and writings um, probably collected by his scribe, uh, who we mentioned last time that we hear about in chapter 36, Baruch. Um, it's not really in a particular order. So we get, uh, you know, the destruction of Jerusalem. We get two different accounts of that, once in the middle of the book and once at the end of the book, right? So in that sense, the outline, um, it's, a, it's a complicated outline because it's all over the place, but... It's not going to give you – It's he's not doing anything rhetorical with it per se. It's just a collection of writings, right? All right. So the first key passage we'll look at is um, – we'll just kind of go down in order through the book. Uh, we'll look at 1, 4 through 19. And we got lots of these because, again – uh, Jeremiah, next to the Psalms, so if you take the book of the Psalms out, uh, Jeremiah is the longest book in the Bible in terms of word count, right? So the actual longest book in the Bible next to the Psalms in terms of word count. 
it, if you count by chapters or if you count by verses, you get different different books. But um, word count is kind of what actually matters, right, as far as really trying to determine the length of something. So <laughs> Jeremiah is quite long, so we're going to have a lot of passages to work through. Um, and we're just going to – we might it might take us out another week or two, but that's fine. All right, so this is uh, the prophet's calling. And there's just a number of things to point out in here, so I'm just going to kind of read and then point them out as we go, I think. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Okay, so this is a great pro-life verse, right? Because uh, what does God testify here to Jeremiah? That he was a person before uh, he was out of the womb, right? That who he was as Jeremiah himself, body and soul human, real life human, right, real person, and he was formed in the womb, right, before he was born, right? Before you were born, I sanctified you, right? I made you holy. Right, set you apart. And so um, whenever the pro-abortionists say that it's not a person until they're born or it's not a poor person until the third trimester or whatever, just a clump of cells, um, this is a great verse, right? Because clearly God is the one in charge of forming together that clump of cells, right? And that clump of cells is sanctified and set apart, right? It's a human, right? I knew you, he says to Jeremiah. I ordained you to be a prophet among the nations. All right. Um, so the Bible is very clear on this. Yeah. Um, all right, let's keep going here. Then I said, O Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. And this is kind of a... Um, an, an odd theme throughout scripture. Now it's, it's very personal to me in some ways, but um, what does Paul tell Timothy? Don't let them look down on you because you are young, right? And there's a large history in the church of young men, like relatively young men becoming uh, pastors, right? And, and leading people who are older than them. And it, it's kind of an odd thing, right? Um, and and a lot of the pastors in the Bible seem to struggle with this, right? Moses is is in some ways maybe he's a little bit older, but he's also worried about like they're not going to listen to me. I'm not, you know, cut out to be a leader, right? Um, I'm not good at public speaking. These types of things. And Jeremiah here, and then and then of course Timothy. And um, well, let, let's read on. What does the Lord say to him? The Lord said to me, do not say, I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And so what's the answer to this? And that, So what does God say to Moses? He says, I'll give you the words to speak. What does he say to Jeremiah? He says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you the words to speak. My words are powerful. right? What does Paul say to Timothy? He says, hold fast to the doctrine that you've been given. Right, and so um, it doesn't matter if the guy that God has put in the pulpit to preach His word is 
you know, young or uh, inexperienced, it matters that he's preaching the word, right? And, you know, that in seminary, maybe this is, again, this is all kind of personal for me because, um, you know, whenever I show up somewhere, they're like, you're so young. <laughs> and part of that has to do simply, by the way, just, I mean, this is, it is what it is. This has to do with the uh, average age of the of LC, of average LCMS congregations, right? Um, this is just in an average LCMS congregation, and this is true not just LCMS. This is true basically in every church body. Um, that at this, millennials basically don't go to church, and Gen Z really doesn't go to church, right? And so. Um, the, the people that are in church, there's a few Gen Xers and then it's and then it's mostly baby boomers, right? So um, that's just that is what it is. And and so of course people think that anyone that's under the age, like age of you know forty is like really young, right? Um, How old are you? I am twenty eight. Oh twenty eight? Yes. So you're about the, you're almost the same age Jesus was when he started his ministry. Jesus was what, thirty? Yeah. Yeah, Jesus was thirty. Probably a lot of the disciples were probably about your age. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, So part of it has to do with that. But there was this. um, I I shouldn't go on about this forever. I I mean I sound like I'm coping and defending myself, but uh, there was always this thing in seminary where the second career guys would be like, well, we have you know we have life experience, and I just kind of was like. Whatever, man. I got God's word. Like, it doesn't really matter, you know? Also, I have, like, you know, eight children or whatever it is now. I don't remember. Like, it's not like I don't know things about life. Anyway, it's like you can fit some experience in a 28-year-old life. You know, it's not that. Anyway. Um, All right. What I know now. Right. Yeah. And I don't. I, I'm not trying to sound cocky. I just. I believe in God's word. Yeah. Like I believe if I give people God's word, that it's sufficient. Right. I don't need some extra like career to be able to give people advice. So anyway, that's beside the point. But I always just thought that you was were a little just bit silly. Called before they were. Yeah. Those yeah. And it's nothing against second career guys, no. by the way. Like it's great when guys have a career and then go to, then go become pastors too. Like that's also fine. I have nothing against that. But. Um, Anyway, I could talk more about the psychology there later, but that's beside the point. All right, so anyway, Jeremiah is young, and the Lord says, it doesn't matter, you're going to have my word. That's the point. Okay. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, notice again this this right this uprooted language mm-hmm. right he's it's like he's pull Jeremiah's task is pulling weeds mm-hmm. okay that's kind of what the image is here to root out and to pull down to destroy and to throw down but then to build and to plant mm-hmm. right so he's pulling out the weeds but he's planting something new moreover the word of the lord came to me saying Jeremiah what do you see and he said i see the branch a branch of an almond tree, right? And um, again, this is all very agricultural, right? Um, 
and the the almond i mean the almond tree is is kind of random but uh it's what so we'll see what it is here in the next verse the lord said to me you have seen well for i am ready to perform my word okay so a couple things here one seeing the branch of an almond tree um or the rod of an almond tree it's random on purpose because what god is doing is showing jeremiah that he is able to hear the lord right and he is able to carry his word so what he's doing is he gives the lord gives jeremiah this kind of random vision of this certain type of branch right and again very agricultural here and um then when he's and then it's kind of a quiz right well what did you see in the vision i just gave you and jeremiah says i saw an almond tree branch and he says you have seen well right so um it's this kind of way to i think strengthen and show jeremiah that he is able to do and see and prophesy what the lord would have him see and then the second thing there is he says i am ready to perform my word right so this enacting language right it's almost like the lord and jeremiah are going to put on a play for the people but it's instead of um kind of how we'd think of a play as being like fake right or just like a story right this is actually god's written word for the people right he's going to perform his word through jeremiah and god's and in this way god's word is performative right we sometimes we talk about this in theology that god's word is efficacious right and it's it's performative so we we have this in in our culture that certain words are performative, right? So like when the judge sentences someone to prison, right? And he speaks the sentence and he slams the gavel down, those words affect a change, right? Those words are performative. They actually accomplish that which they say, right? Or when um, maybe the better a better example even is in a marriage, right? When the officiant says, I now pronounce you husband and wife, right? What at the end of the day, what's what is it that makes those people married? It's that pronouncement. It's those words, right? And then there's things that go along with it, right? The certificate and and the the whole rest of the ceremony and the vows and all that. But the moment that they become husband and wife is that that pronouncement, right? And the same thing is true with God's word, right? God's word uh, accomplishes that for which He sends it, right? And it does not return back to Him void, okay? All right, um, where are we at? Oh, yeah, all right. He's ready to perform his word. And the word of the Lord came to me the second time saying, what do you see? And this time he said, I see a boiling pot and it is facing away from the north. Now, remember I said his job is to pull up weeds. Does anyone know how people used to kill weeds all the time before there was Roundup? Hot water, right? Yeah, you just boil it boil water and pour weeds and pour pour water on the weeds i've done that before right um if in like if you're into organic gardening like some of us right um yes and salt salt is another thing and the bible also uses that uh the bible uses that analogy too right like when lot's wife is turned into a pillar of salt right the, the, the destructiveness of salt but um yeah but boiling water is is a, a way to kill plants right um right and so there's this pot of boiling water uh coming from the north and right if if you remember um right so you got uh 
the sea here, and then you got coming kind of this way, you got this is Judah, right, and this is Israel, and Assyria has already come in, right, and then Babylon has taken over. So Babylonia is basically all this area here. Um, we got the map somewhere. Anyway, uh, Babylonia is coming in from the north, right? That's that's my point. That's the that's why I drew the map. Is that Babylon's the north, right? So whenever he sees, I, I see a boiling pot, pot coming in from the north. He's talking about Babylon coming, right? And then the Lord says, "Out of the north, calamity shall break forth all, on all the inhabitants of the land," right? And then we could we could go on through the rest of that, but um, no, actually, I do want to I want to talk about the prophet of iron. I forgot about that. All right, so what time is it? All right. Um, let me skip down a couple verses. Um, so he speaks about Babylon there coming. And yeah, okay, so um, verse uh, 17 through 19. Um, basically here he's going to tell Jeremiah, like, gird up your loins. Okay, so get ready. So um, what what have we – so far his call, right, and prophet's callings are always kind of interesting. Like, right, Isaiah – when Isaiah is called, um, he's called in the temple, right, and he has the vision of the Lord and he sings the Sanctus, holy, 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 right, and the, and the angels sing and the, coal, the burning coal touches his lips. So this is Jeremiah's call be, so far. He said, the Lord said, I chose you out of your out of the womb of your mother, right? And um, don't worry that you're young. You're going to have my powerful word. And he saw an almond tree and he saw a boiling pot, right? And now, and and he he's told that out of the north is going to come this army that's going to destroy everything. And then this is, and, and so just imagine Jeremiah in that moment, right? Like you just found out that since before you were born, the Lord wanted you to be this prophet for him and that you have these special visions of the Lord. And, and bad things are by the way, bad things are coming, right? So, um, and, and, and you're the one who's going to have to deliver this word to the people. And then he says, there, this is verse 17, therefore prepare yourself and arise and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay you before them. For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, and against the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. Okay, so he gives this final image to Jeremiah that he has made Jeremiah to be an iron pillar, right? And so sometimes Jeremiah is called the prophet of iron, right? Um, that he's basically, he's going to be able to say what he needs to say and the Lord's going to protect him, right? And he doesn't have to worry about himself, right? He can worry about speaking the word boldly. And we're actually going to see this play out in Jeremiah's life that Jeremiah, as we mentioned last week, Jeremiah is one of the prophets that lives not only and prophesies not only before the destruction of Jerusalem, but then he lives through the destruction of Jerusalem and is taken captive into Babylon after the destruction of Jerusalem. And so his life experience actually plays this out, that he has to be a prophet of iron, 
right? He can't just be some weak, you know, some weak man, right? He's got to um, have the the power of the Lord behind him, right? This would be a great um, name for the men's group, by the way, fortified cities and iron pillars or something like that. Mm-hmm. We should um, we should consider that. So, uh, <laughs> uh, that, but this is a this is a manly passage, right? Um, that, Je- that Jeremiah is called to be one of the Lord's men, right? He's called to be a warrior. And and the Lord says he's going to make him an iron pillar, right? So um, the, the uh, a lot of young men today are, are getting back into Stoic philosophy. I don't know if you know this. Uh, it's fine. I mean, Stoicism has its pros and cons. Um, but this is what biblical Stoicism is, right? The Lord makes you an iron pillar, right? The Lord makes you able to withstand all things, right? It's not that you just like mentally prepare yourself. It's that the Lord does this for you. All right. The Lord does that for all of us, really. gives us strength. He does, yes. He does give us strength, right? And in different ways, right? So not not everyone is called like Jeremiah to go speak to the nations, right? But... um. Uh, but he does give us all strength for how for what we need. All right. Um, then let's skip ahead to uh, we still got some time here. Let's skip ahead to chapter. Yeah, that's right. Um, hope everyone enjoyed their hour of sleep last night. Extra hour. Everyone was like on time to Bible study, so you know you can tell. I was thinking someone might be here early, you know. Um, but all right. In, in uh, Jeremiah two sixteen, I was just turning the page. He's talking about Memphis. Yeah. 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 That's true. We oh, didn't we didn't do that one. We should we should have talked about Memphis. Uh, what does he say about Memphis? Oh, he just says also men of Memphis oh. have shaved the crown of your head. So Memphis is also wicked. That's that's what we're yeah, that's yeah. the takeaway. Okay. I think we already knew that, but. <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. That's why Bass Pro Shops is a pyramid, because we're on the Nile. Right. So Mississippi, yeah. That's the whole, the shtick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, isn't there a? There's some sort of like Egyptian type museum around here, isn't there? Yeah. Oh yeah, and the zoo. University of Memphis, yeah. University of Memphis has some Egyptian stuff, and then the the zoo. If you ever been to the zoo, it's all Egyptian theme. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I mean, why not? Like you should. If you're gonna have a city, make it interesting. You know. Um. All right. Jeremiah seven is where I want to go to next. So Jeremiah seven. Um. And this is his temple sermon. Right, so uh, like I said, he's going to act this out. Um, well, we'll just read. Okay, so this uh, we'll do seven, one through four, and then uh, twenty. What is it? Twenty-eight through thirty-four. These are key. Trying to trying to stick to the key passages as much as possible. All right, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah or the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, excuse me, saying, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who enter 
in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in these lying words, saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Okay, so first of all, the enacted word again, right? And I already mentioned this, that in order to preach against the Pharisaism that's happening in the temple, where is Jeremiah called to go? Right, he's go, he stands in the gate of the temple, right? So if you can imagine um, during worship service today, someone opens up the back doors and starts shouting at us, right? That's what that's what it's like, right? Jeremiah goes and shouts to the um, and starts preaching this sermon, right? But um, to finish that analogy, we would have to be acting like Pharisees for it to work, right? Because this is what's going on: is that the uh, at the time, the people of Judah, right, they're still worshiping in the temple, but they're included in that worship, worship to false gods, right? And there's this big problem at the time, especially of temple prostitution, right, where they have, they've adopted this pagan practice of, of outside of the, the temple, right, um, sell, selling prostitutes, basically, right, uh, auctioning off and, and practicing prostitution, so... Um, it, uh, imagine that, right outside the church doors, the the people are are in the name of of the gods, right, selling prostitutes, right, um, because Bell gave them fertility or whatever the case is, right, um, and uh, Jeremiah makes fun of them because what do the what do the Pharisees? Uh, um, I call them Pharisees because that that's what this is. It's Phariseeism. It's thinking that they're following the law and earning their way into heaven. When, when really they're just idolaters, right? So um, what are they doing um, to make themselves feel better, right? They say, the temple of the Lord. We have the temple of the Lord. We worship in the temple of the Lord, right? We're the ones who have the temple, right? Temple, temple, temple. That's, so this is what he's saying when he says, do not trust in these lying words saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these, Right? Because the people that are worshiping in the temple who are idolatrous, they're saying, look, we have the temple. We're the temple of the Lord. We're the temple of the Lord, right? And, and Jeremiah says, amend your ways, right? Get down to the heart of it. How are you living, right? What are your doings? How are you dwelling in this place, right? And if you really want to dwell in this place, I will cause you to dwell in this place. This is the word of the Lord, right? The Lord is the one that allows us to dwell in his house, Okay, let's jump down to 20, uh, verse 28. So this is the whole sermon he preaches here. Um, you can read the whole thing if you want. Um, but uh, we'll just get a little bit more of what's going on here. So 28 verses uh, through 34. So you shall say to them, this is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord their God nor receive correction. Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. Cut off your hair and cast it away, and take up a lamentation on the desolate heights, for the Lord has rejected and forsaken his genera- the generation of his wrath. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, says the Lord. They have set their abom- abominations in the house which they called by my name to pollute it. And they have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my heart. 
Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when it will no longer be called Tephet or the Valley of the Son of Hinnom, but the Valley of Slaughter. For they will bury the in Tephet until there is no room. The corpses of this people will be food for the birds of the heaven and for the beasts of the earth, and no one will frighten them away. Then I will cause to cease from the cities of Judah and from the streets of Jerusalem the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, for the land shall be desolate. Okay, so this is how Jeremiah ends his temple sermon. And um, what does the Lord tell him to do? Again, he, uh, he has him enact his word, right? He has him cut off his hair, right, as a sign of, of the destruction that's coming, uh, which is kind of an interesting thing, right? Um, and then he says uh, a couple things here. Uh, he calls them out specifically for their child sacrifice, right? So meanwhile, while they're, they have what's going on inside the temple, right, and around the temple, down in the valley, they're sacrificing their children, right? And Je- what Jeremiah is doing here and the, what the Lord's doing here is he's contrasting inside and outside the temple. This is why Jeremiah stands in the gate of the temple, is that he's saying, look, what you guys are doing in here, it's no different from what you're doing out there, right? What you're doing out there affects what you do in here. And if you think you can live out there and go slaughter your children and then come in here and say the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these, you're sorely mistaken, right? And the Lord's going to turn this whole place into desolation, right? The the voice of uh, there will be no joy in the cities in the city of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, the voice of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride, they'll all be gone. All right. All right. Uh, so on that very uplifting note, uh, we'll end there today. And we'll pick up with chapter 8 next next week. Hmm. Any final questions or comments? Yes, yeah, Steve. The, uh, the phrase, the right side of history... Right. But that was the the Pharisees of that day. They thought they were the right side of the country. And they were just sinners. Right. That goes back to our discussion about eschatology, too. Like, who's ultimately on the right side of history? It's whoever is on the side of Christ whenever Christ comes back. Right? That's who's on the right side of history. Um. A thousand years is one day, and one day is as a thousand years to the Lord, right? So um, we get very caught up in uh, these little things that take place all the time that the 24-hour news cycle wants us to care about. But what's happening today is just exactly what happened in Jeremiah's day. Right. Right. And uh, no matter what little thing it is throughout history, it's the side of Christ that matters, right? So... um, Yep, it's a good point. Any other questions or comments, concerns? All right, let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word, that you have sent prophets like Jeremiah to preach to us your word. And we pray that our hearts and minds would be open today to the hearing of your word, that it may change us, that we may come to repentance of our sins and turn to your Son for our salvation. And it is through your Son, Jesus Christ, that we pray, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.